Um, and so uh, today we're going to be in Job, still in chapter 1, and we're going to finish out chapter 1 today. And what we'll learn is that Job's relationship with God is going to be tested. Um, that's the, really kind of a mild way of saying it, uh, a nice way of saying it. It will definitely go through the ringer. Um, and so um, why don't you, if you're able to, why don't you stand with me for the reading of the Word of God? And I'll, I'll read the passage. You just uh, uh, listen. Uh, to the word of God. So this is Job uh, chapter 1, verses 6 to 22. One day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He's blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, Yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You have always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You have made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them. And when the Sabaeans raided us, they stole all the animals and killed all the farm hands. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep and all the shepherds. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. And while he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldean raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. And suddenly a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides, and the house collapsed, and all your children are dead. I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Job stood up and tore his robe in grief, and then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. He said, I, am naked. I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. This is God's word. Please have a seat. It's quite a situation Job finds himself in, isn't it? Um, Let me just pray here as we get into the word. Heavenly Father, we are coming to you this morning in need of your nourishment spiritually. Our souls need fed, and thank you, God, that you've given us food to eat here, your word. And so, Father, we ask that you would nourish our souls today, and we just uh, pray, God, that you give us ears to hear, help us to understand, help us to see uh, the word that you have for us uh, individually today. And Lord, we also want to lift up our fellow brothers and sisters and friends family who are really struggling 
physically who needs your healing touch, God. We pray that heaven would come down, your kingdom would visit the <laughs> in a more full way here so that they could experience your healing touch. And so, Lord, we also uh, pray that you would strengthen the hands that are weak that are here this morning, Lord. Uh, give a perseverance, Lord, uh, to keep on keeping on following Jesus and living our lives before you, um, living our lives for you. And Lord, we pray that your glory, Lord, uh, would be shown to us today. You would, you would be glorified, God, in our time today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I wanted to share something with you. I, I read this, and this does actually fit in with the message. You just don't know it yet. Um, Psalm 29, verse 9 says, um, The voice of the Lord twists mighty oaks and strips the forest bare. And then it says, In his temple, everyone shouts glory. So I'm going to count to three. And for the Lord, let's shout glory. One, two, three. Glory! We want God to be glorified today right, through his word. So this passage is, is really challenging. I, I was like thinking about what was I getting myself into saying we're going to go through the book of Job. But I believe that God is sovereign and he has his hand on what he's doing here um, and the first thing that we could see in here, which is probably no surprise, but uh, I don't want to presume that everybody knows that Satan exists, that he is real. And so we see in those opening verses here in chapter 1 of verse, verse 6 that the heavenly court came together and to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser Satan came also. So you, we presume this is the angels gathering whether they're receiving marching orders, we don't really know what the purpose of the gathering was, but we do know, and this kind of really wigs people out, that Satan was present there. Well, if God wants Satan there, he'll be there, okay? We shouldn't have a problem with that, uh, but he's there, and he uh, has some questions, and of course, God asks him uh, a question to get the dialogue going, but do you realize there that what... what um, happens is uh, Satan accuses Job of something. He's really accusing him of that Job really doesn't have an authentic relationship with you. It's kind of a transactional thing. You know, Job loves you and worships you because you've done everything for him and you've, you've protected him. And look how, you know, it says, look how rich he is. And we talked about that last week uh, or two weeks ago, we just, how we saw that it says that he's a great man. And not only a man of integrity, uh, but also, you know, with all of the animals and uh, the land that he had, it was, was a very rich man. And that certainly, you know, was the, uh, the means of, 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 of seeing how rich you are was your livestock and your land, right? Um, and, so, uh, and so Job comes with this accusation. And uh, it shouldn't be a surprise to us, though, that Job is there accusing, uh, excuse me, Satan is there accusing Job or anyone else, for that matter. 
Uh, let me just quickly mention to you, if you're not familiar with it, that Satan was formerly a beautiful and powerful cherub angel, uh, likely the highest of all the angels, but iniquity was found in him, as uh, we believe it's mentioning, and I'm going to give you a reference, Ezekiel 28, 15. And then he was lifted up in pride. So he was he's prideful. And uh, many people think that in Isaiah uh, chapter 14, verses 12 to 15, that um, this is speaking of Satan um, and uh, that he's, he's wanting to be like God. And so as a result of that, um, Satan led an army of angels into rebellion, which resulted in his ejection from heaven, all right, uh, along with every angel who followed him. Again, you can look in Ezekiel 28 more for uh, information that relates to that. But, um, but as a result, now Satan prowls the earth. And uh, let me read for you uh, a, a, a scripture at 1 Peter 5, 8, which this might be familiar to some of you. It says, um, be sober-minded, be watchful. And you're like, okay, got my attention? Your adversary... The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And uh, so, you you know, it's very important as a believer that you understand that you do have an adversary, um, and he is seeking to scuttle your life and scuttle you from trying to follow Jesus. And if you don't know the Lord, uh, his desire would be for you to never come to know the Lord, to be blinded um, and caught up in some other things um, and not be interested in Jesus at all. But, but so, so here he is, he is uh, seeking someone to devour. He calls, us the, calls him the adversary there in 1 Peter 5.8. But we, we see he's also known as, and it mentions this in Revelation, the accuser of the brethren. Right, that he's constantly before the throne of God, accusing uh, believers before the throne of God of what we don't know. Could be things like he did with Job. You know? um, but these accusations are coming day and night before the throne. And so Satan, the accuser here, is in this scene, this heavenly scene that we're given. Now, I think it's important to know that Job, from what we know, has no idea this is going on. Okay, you know, he doesn't know what's going on up in the heavenlies. He just knows what's coming down on earth, okay? We have the privilege of knowing, if you will, what was going on up there at that time, right? But um, so we see Satan that comes with um, accusations. And the other thing, too, that we see is that Satan is on a leash. How do we know that? Well, when, when Satan uh, makes his accusation, right, then, then um, God says in verse 12, he says, all right, you may test him. The Lord said to Satan, do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. So you, you pick up from that, that uh, Satan is on a leash. He can't just do anything he wants. There, you know, there, in other words, in a sense, needs permission to do anything, okay? Um, and so that is just a fact. God limits what Satan can do to Job, all right? So 
So we have Satan, the accuser there. Satan is on a leash. Um, and, you know, it's important for you to know that, you know, at, at, uh, in the end, Satan definitely gets his, okay? Satan was definitely uh, dealt a blow at the cross, right? Because now anyone who receives Christ as Savior, uh, sin no longer has dominion over us. And we have, present tense, have eternal life. And Satan can't take that away. All right? And so, but in the meantime, in, in God's sovereign plan, he is allowed to roam around the earth. Okay? And you and I, sometimes when we hear that, we don't understand that. Um, and I can understand why we don't understand that. Because we say, well, why would you create a world in which that could ever happen? Okay, well, volumes have been written on right the the uh, the problem of people call the problem of evil, right? Um, but certainly part of it is just the the fact that God did not create robots, right? He did not create robots. He he, he created people that uh, do make uh, choices, right? And so, as a result of that, um, you know, God, you know, and of course, God's not bound by time. He, he knew what was going to happen, okay? But uh, you, you could understand why, you know, so if you create robots and they always do what you want, then I guess you'd never have sin, you could say, right? But then you would have to think about, well, what kind of people would we be? Right? And so, uh, that's, that's a very, very short thought on, on uh, our objection sometimes to a world where evil exists and that a, a God who's all-powerful would even allow that. Okay? And much more could be said about it, but, but I, I'm not going to take uh, the time here to go into everything that we might want to try to answer. But the fact is, Job gets some good answers, Right? Uh, I'm not going to spill the beans, but at one point, God's like, where were you when I created the earth, you know? In other words, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. You know, you, we, we're not God, right? And we don't, uh, we can't see the end from the beginning and where all, all the purposes of God that could be accomplished, even through terrible things happening, okay? No, um... It's interesting to note, and I think we sh we should know um, that as all of this stuff is 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 going on in Job's life, and of course in in this particular scene, um, you know he loses all uh, of his material possessions, and then of course his family, right? What a tragedy! And so, um, but we need to know as believers that nothing is happening in our lives. That has not first been sifted through God's sovereign hand. Okay, this is important. Uh, this is a, a truth. This is a, in a sense, kind of a doctrinal truth uh, about who God is and how He operates. He is sovereign, and one aspect of His sovereignty is He is in control. Um, and, and to me, this is comforting because then I know it's not that God just set the world to spin and created it, and now He's no longer. Uh, active in my life, that everything that's just happening to me is because, you know, somebody 
that's mean did something bad to me or whatever, but know that there is a sovereign God who is working in all things. Uh, I would like to read to you, and you can write this down if you'd like. I don't have it up here, but Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 24. It says, the God, and this is Paul, by the way. Paul's speaking to uh, a group of people in Athens. And it says, the the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Verse 26. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. Right? So so verse 26 tells us that God has sovereignly placed you at this point in history. Right? I mean, he didn't put you uh, back in Civil War times. He didn't put you... You know, back in medieval times, he didn't put you in London, England, although you might want to be there. I don't know. But, but he puts you here, right? At this time, uh, in Galloway, Ohio, and wherever you live, he has sovereignly placed you there. It says he allotted the periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. And listen to this, verse 27. And he also has a purpose in putting you at your time and place. Listen to what the purpose is. Verse 27 of Acts 17. That they should seek God. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. Yet He is actually not far from each one of us. In other words, He has sovereignly placed you there that you might seek God and that you might come to know Him. You might come to have a relationship with the living God through Christ. He has Put you there for that purpose. And then if you're a believer already, think about this. He's put you where you are, where you're living, the job you have, the children you have or don't have or whatever it is, so that you might be a light for the people who are seeking God from where they live. You see that? He's sovereign over that. When I see that truth, um, and I really, when I, the days that I get it, life's an adventure. Because then I'm saying, okay, God is working and he's bringing people to seek him. I wonder, you know, if I already know him, I've sought him and found him. I wonder who those who are around me are seeking him, that I could help them on the way. And that's the sovereign God that we have. Nothing is happening in our lives that has not first been filtered through his hand. And that's the good and the, the bad, the, 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 the glorious things that we would rejoice over and the things that we would mourn over. He's in all those things. And we don't know all the whys, but as a Christian, you have to anchor yourself and trust God. You know, there is simply... It's like the age-old parenting trick, you know? Why, Mommy? Why, Daddy? Because I said so. It works for a while. But, but, you know, but the truth is that we don't always know the whys. You just have to know the who, okay? 
Because if you know the who, if you know God and have an authentic relationship with him, you learn from the scriptures and from your own personal experience, you can trust him. Okay, You can trust him. Paul Tripp has a quote here I want to read for you. He says, if the sovereignty of God doesn't depict to you that God is near to you and active, you have misunderstood the sovereignty of God. In that way, the sovereignty of God should not discourage me and make me feel small. It should encourage me and make me feel cared for because what is out of my control is under his control. Amen? So we see in this scene that's going on between heaven and earth in Job, God's sovereign hand working, okay, is working. Now, what we need to see that is that God is working and using all things for his glory. I mean, oh, may God find us in a place spiritually that we might, by God's grace, be able to respond the way Job did. Man, I mean, just listen to these words again, right? After, you know, wave after wave after wave. I mean, you talk about one of those days. I don't think many of us have had days like this, okay? It's just wham, 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 right? Why, and and the, the, the phrase is, while he was still speaking, right? While he was still speaking, and then just tragedy after tragedy, right? But then, after all these things, Job said, it says, Job stood up and he tore his robe in grief. Well, we can understand that, right? All these terrible things are happening. He's, he's grieving. He's experienced loss after loss after loss, right? And so appropriately, and then he, 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 he does these things which would have been indicative of the time, shaving his head and falling on the ground, right? But what does he fall on the ground to do? Worship. I'm telling you, that can only happen by the Spirit of God, that any one of us could ever go through a series of events, sovereignly sifted through God's hand, like he did, and fall down and worship God. He says, in verse 21, it says, He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had. In other words, you know, he kind of took, he kind of, he kind of took, took some time to recognize that all those beautiful things that he had, the material things, and, and obviously his family was a gift from God. It was a gift from God. Like, God, I know that you gave me those things, and I know that they came from your hand. So he says, the Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. Almost like he's saying, I thank God that I had the time that I did have. I thank God for the times when I had all those things and I could maybe even be a blessing to other people. Because it said he was a, he was a humble man. He, he was a man of integrity. And so you have to think that he used all of that wealth for good. And so I just think that Job got it. He got that God is working and using all things for his glory. That, he, you know, everything. And, and that's what allowed him, that and the grace of God, to respond this way is because he knew that God is working everything for our good. Everything. 
Um, there's a passage in Romans 11, and it's certainly Romans 11 is a lot about the sovereignty of God and his choice of Israel and and, and how that inter, inter, interlaces with his with the church and, and the future of that. But in Romans 11, verse 33 to 36, yeah, 36, it says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Well, what's the answer to that? Nobody. <laughs> it's a rhetorical question, right? You know, and, and he's saying nobody knows the mind of God. Nobody can, you know, his judgments are unsearchable. His, his ways are inscrutable. We can't understand. You know, and, and on a human level, we should understand that God's above us. He's beyond us, um, you know, in terms of our understanding. Uh you know, the idea of who has known the mind of the Lord, who has been his counselor, who has given, it says, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid. Uh, for, and listen to this, verse 36 is what I want you to write this down, Romans eleven thirty-six. We need to think about the sovereignty of God. All, God, is, God is working all things for his glory. Here's verse 36. For from him and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. He's saying that everything that's going on, everything that's ever been created, right, is all been created through him and is for him and points to him. That means even your life. You were created for God's glory. What God is doing in our lives right now, down to the fine, the, the fine details, for the glory of God, so that God might be glorified. And those words or those phrases, the glory of God, and that he might be glorified, might be uh, new to you. But basically, this, it's the idea of God, uh, uh, that he is the one this is all for, that it's, it's like he is the famous one, if you will. He is the one that we want to bring fame to. He is the one that we want to point to. And that he is, he is being glorified. In other words, he, people are looking to him, right, is what should be happening, is we should be looking to him so that everything that's going on in our lives is for his glory. And this is a, a mentality, um, a truth, and a mentality that we need to have as believers. Because when we have this mentality, I believe God will grace us with the ability to fall down and worship in times of great difficulty, in times of testing, right? And uh, this, just so you know that this idea that everything is for God's glory uh, is not just my idea. There are lots of scriptures that would bear this out as well. Uh, for example, um, Jesus told us to do good works. Why? So that God would get the glory. It says that here. It says uh, in Matthew 5, 16, right? So it talks about doing good works and giving God glory, give, to give glory to your Father who is in heaven, right? Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and 
glorify your Father who is, who is in heaven, that, they, that you would reflect God to them by the good works that you do. So we do good works so that God gets the glory, not so that we get noticed, right? So that God gets the glory. And Jesus also endured his final hours on the cross of suffering for God's glory, as it says in John 12, 27 and 28. Uh, here it says, um, Father, this is Jesus saying, Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. And you see, Jesus, even being on that cross, which no one has ever suffered like he suffered, right? he did it for the glory of God. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in our own lives is to glorify God. Right? It, says, uh, it says in John 16, verse 14, when Jesus talks about sending the Spirit, it says of the Spirit, it says, He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. So even the Spirit of God that's given to us as the gift to every believer, He is there to glorify God in us. And then uh, the last one I'll mention here um, is in uh, 1 Corinthians 10.31. It says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And this is just the, the, should be the banner over every believer's life. Lord, may I do things in such a way. May I think about things. May I live my life. May I see that everything you are doing is in a way that you would receive the glory. You know, even by the way we serve, if you serve here at church, God wants you to serve in a way that brings him glory, right? How can you do that? Well, the scriptures tell us in 1 Peter 4.11, to serve in a way, uh, it says to serve in the strength that he supplies, right? So that in, every, in order that everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Right? So how we even serve, God's people can bring glory to him. So, so you know, why shout glory? Because we want glory to, to be uh, what God gets, okay? We want him to, to be famous. We want him to be known. And, um, you know, the, we, we have to realize this is why we were created, you know. Um, we're, we're not a creedal church, but... In terms of like you know the the like the Westminster Catechism and some of the churches that ascribe to those creeds, not that there's necessarily bad things with them, but one of them, the very first, uh, you know, catechisms are usually um, a question and answer format, right? And and say what is the chief end of man is the very first question in the Westminster Short Catechism. So you know, in other words, what's what what am I created for? Why am why am I here? And the answer is. I know? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's why we're here. If we're not plugged into that, we're not going to be satisfied. We're not going to realize who God created us to be. So, just the last point here, and then I'm going to 
take a look at Revelation with you. It says, as Jesus followers, our thoughts and prayers need to always be, use it for your glory. Use it for your glory. That should be just whatever's going on. You know, you walk out that door, you know, you get a phone call, you know, you, whatever you're doing, uh, Lord, use it for your glory. Uh, as I was uh, putting the final touches on the sermon today, I was listening through a playlist on YouTube today. It's old school, all right? So if you're young, you won't even know who this person is. Don Moen, anybody remember who that is? Wrote a lot of worship songs. And so I'm just listening, and that song came on. It just laid me out, um, and it was I Offer My Life is the name of the song. And it says, uh, it starts off, Lord, I offer my life to you, everything I've been through. I started like running through it in my head. All the good, the bad, and the ugly. Things that I've done, things that have been done to me. And I'm thinking, Lord, I want to sing that song and mean that. Lord, I offer my life to you. Everything I've been through, use it for your glory. Use it for your glory. That's, that's how we have to see it. Otherwise, you know, our lives are going to be a wreck. They're already hard. But if you don't anchor in the sovereignty of God and that nothing is happening that he has not filtered through his hands and that he's not there with you in, you're going to lose it. You're going to chuck it. We have to know the truth that God wants to use everything for his glory. The song goes on and says, Lord, I offer my days to you, lifting my praise to you as a pleasing sacrifice. Lord, I offer you my life. And this apparently must have somehow been in the mentality of Job that, you know, every God, God I want you to be glorified in everything that's going on. Though it was hard, though he experienced all the, the grief and the loss. Right? It's not like you pretend you don't hurt. That's not good. That's not real either. But once we understand that we were created for God's glory, right? And you realize this is where it's all headed, and I mean history is headed. History is history heading somewhere? Time. I don't know. Revelation chapter 4. Um, let me find my verse that I wanted to use. Yeah, Revelation chapter 4. Now, um, my wife Linda and I were spending a good bit of time on Friday and Saturday praying with the Charltons, with Linda and Charlotte. And we were praying together through some specific things. And, and uh, we, most of our time was individual. And then we'd come back together and share some things. Uh, but one of the passages that we looked at was Revelation chapter 4. And then as I, was, uh, as I was reading it in my own personal time that day, I was struck like this is, this, this is relative to what we're talking about today. That if I, if I realize that, you know, that God is working all things for his glory, no matter what it is, and that my attitude needs to be, you know, Lord, use it for your glory. And then you see in the end, it's all about his glory in the end. Revelation chapter 4 Verse 1, 
I'm, I'm reading in the NLT today because I've had such large um, narrative passages. But it says, then, then it says, then as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and, and the same voice I heard before me spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The voice said, come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the Spirit, and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on that throne was a brilliant as gemstones like jasper and um, carnelian, and the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. Twenty-four thrones surrounded him, and twenty-four elders sat on them, and they were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumble and the rumble of thunder, and in front of the throne were seven torches with the burning flames, and this, uh, this is the sevenfold Spirit of God. In front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. And in the center and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with, each covered with eyes, front and back. And the first of these living beings was like a lion, the second like an ox, the third had a human face, and the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of these living beings had six wings, and their wings were covered all over with eyes, inside and out. Day after day, night after night, they kept saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who always was and is and who is to come. And it says, Whenever the living beings give glory and honor and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne and the one who lives forever and ever. And they lay their crowns before the throne and they say, you are worthy, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and they exist because of you and were created and created what you pleased. In other words, all of this is headed towards a day, right, when believers will stand before the throne of God and just say, you know, may you be glorified. You know, this is what the elders were saying, these, these 24 elders, right? You are worthy, O Lord, or God, to receive glory and honor and power. And so when, when we understand that he is worthy, right, the Lord God is worthy, Jesus is worthy, of whatever he wants to do in my life that will bring him glory, then I believe God graces us with the power to endure it and to even praise his name in the middle of it. May God help us live in such a way that we might be able to say, Lord, use it. Use my life and everything that's going on in it for your glory. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for this glimpse into the heavenlies there where we recognize that there are spiritual battles going on and where Satan is accusing. But Lord, also, it's so comforting to know that you're in control, that nothing is happening, that you have not um, uh, approved of, that's gone through your hands. And so, Lord, help us, Father to see that you want to be glorified in everything that's going on in our lives. Lord, help us to respond in a way that gives you glory. Help us to walk through these things in a way that gives you glory. And may the end result of those things going on in our lives 
bring glory to your name and draw people to yourself. In Jesus' name we pray.